who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 18. Night Moves Mariana checked her wrist top. Midnight. John had had long enough to engage the bridge crew in conversation. Her teeth worried her lower lip as she dialed her trompe-loy jumpsuit into blur mode. Then, a shadow among the shadows, she climbed the back stairs to bridge deck and slipped into the passageway leading to the chart room. Now came the tricky part, knocking out Grecian spy cam long enough to get in and get out. Phase inverters were marvelous things. Any waveform was fair game for nullification. They'd even begun installing big ones under the office buildings in downtown L.A. to damp down earthquake tremors. Mariana had nothing so elaborate in mind for her miniature version. Cancelling the signal from Grecian's surveillance camera would be quite enough, thank you. She couldn't leave it at that, of course. Grecian's watchers would get suspicious if their monitors went blank all of a sudden. No problem. By now, Mariana's laptop contained hours and hours and hours of filched images showing an empty chart room, including a segment from this same time last night. On her postage-stamped display, she overlaid the real-time transmission with the sequence she'd edited out of the recordings. She began making final adjustments, trying to sync up the two image streams. Everything. The lighting, the fall of the shadows, even the animated timestamp in the lower right-hand corner with today's date patched in, of course, everything had to match perfectly. Not even a frame-by-frame post-mortem could uncover the deception, or they'd be cooked. She was nearly there when she heard something. The creak of a floorboard sounded like, coming from the wheelhouse at the end of the passageway. She froze, her pulse pounding in her ears. More creaks. Then a shadow flitted across the half-open wheelhouse door, In a moment, its owner would poke his face into the corridor and see her. Her suit's camouflage might be enough to hide her from a casual glance in dim light, but not from careful scrutiny. Praying she'd got the feed synchronized right, 
she hit the key that cancelled out the signal from Grecian spy cam and spliced in her own substitute. Now the watcher should be watching chartroom images 24 hours old, so Mariana's present time incursion should remain, to all intents and purposes, invisible. That was the theory, anyway, and she had no choice but to test it. One more glance toward the wheelhouse, then she took a deep breath and stepped across the threshold into the chart room. No alarms, no scuffle of booted feet in the passageway. Even the shadow man from the bridge seemed to have lost interest and returned to his post. Phase one complete. She'd made it as far as the chart room. Next step. Grecian's hijacked video surveillance transmissions had recorded a protocol of sorts for gaining entry to the access shaft. At least they showed that, prior to descending out of camera view, Galena and her associate had each run a hand along the rim of the map table. Now Mariana's gloved fingers followed suit. A concealed toggle snicked, and the table slid back to reveal a one-meter-square aperture in the parquet flooring. Mariana was now looking down three decks to a brightly lit room. The shaft itself remained in darkness until she located a switch for a line of emergency bulbs. Their light reflected off the steel rungs running down one wall. Mariana braced herself and placed a foot on the first rung. She climbed down till her eyes were on a level with the shaft's rim. Now what? The switch that moved the chart table back was out of reach, three feet above her head. A quick scan located its mate on the shaft wall. She flipped it, then ducked down into the shaft as the heavy table slid back into place. One more thing to check, now that she was finally out of sight and earshot. Tightening her grip on the ladder, she activated her throat mic and earphones. Her ears were suddenly filled with bridge crew chatter, indistinct for the most part and in Russian to boot, though John was coming in loud and clear. John, she cut in. It's me. I'm on my way down to the lab, but I want to test our link-up first. If you can hear me, don't answer. Just give me three seconds on your panic button. A steady beep came back at her. Okay, she said. Reading that five by five here. Beep me again if you need me. Mariana switched her earphones back off, too distracting, and began her descent, sight unseen, through the salon and accommodation decks. In the final ten feet, the rungs gave way to a freestanding ladder. Then she was setting foot on tiled flooring. She looked around to see if she had company. Nobody in sight. And it wasn't as if anyone could hide in this glare. So far, so good. Phase two, complete. Mariana was now standing in Rusalka's secret heart. She checked the indicator lights on her tool belt. Humming, she came in through the bathroom window, under her breath. All recorders were in the green, documenting her visit on their designated swaths of the electromagnetic spectrum, and watching for anyone who might be watching her. On that score, none of the lab's EM signatures telltaled the presence of spy cams like the one up above. Grecian must not want the lab's interior imaged anywhere else on Rusalka, not even at his watcher's posts. Good thing, too. She'd come prepared to jam such transmissions but doing so would set an upper limit on her time here. What internal surveillance did exist was rudimentary, easily countered motion and infrared sensors, a textbook example of what was known in the trade as Maginot Line security. Lots of capability, all of it directed outward. A suboptimal configuration, 
as her incursion was even now demonstrating. Mariana began running a standard recon. Cover all bases, observe everything, disturb nothing. Not that it was easy to avoid bumping into things in these closed quarters. Hiding a third room in a floor plan built for two hadn't left space for much more than two banks of workstations separated by a narrow walkway. Those workstations were impeding her intel gathering along with her freedom of movement. They made up the bulk of the lab equipment, and, unlike a physical test stand or measuring device, there was little clue to functionality in the Cyrillic acronyms populating their displays. Her handheld included a small Russian lexicon, but it was survival vocab only. Neither it nor her night school Russian were a match for the cryptic scientific shorthand in use throughout the clandestine lab. John was right, damn it. He would have been better at this than she was. Oh well, like he'd said, when in doubt, record everything. As if that weren't just common sense tradecraft. And she could go at one better. Mariana unsnapped a tool holster and extracted the NSA's contribution to the interagency proliferation control effort. A matte black device, maybe two inches square by an eighth of an inch thick, and trailing a hair-thin antenna. Now for the secret lab's local area network. She traced the coax out of the nearest workstation till she found a likely spot to conceal the little bug. Then she clipped its retractable collar to the LAN. Nice and non-invasive, but all the signals flowing among the lab's computers would be captured, compressed, and dumped to storage on a five-day rollover. Now she was definitely recording everything, and would continue to do so even after she left. What was John's other piece of unsolicited advice? Oh, right. Think patterns. One pattern at least was obvious. A single word repeated over and over on the displays. Antipod. The handheld was no help, naturally. Mariana wrinkled her brow. She knew enough Russian to know that this was not a native Russian word. Must be some sort of foreign cognate. Wasn't there an English equivalent? Not antipod, antipode, meaning the opposite end of the earth from wherever you happen to be standing, what the Brits used to call Australia. She shook her head, didn't suggest anything, just one more data point, as John would say. Make that one big data point. Fully three-quarters of the lab equipment was dedicated to monitoring or controlling this antipode thingy. There were readouts for what looked like nuclear reactor status, currently online, running at two-thirds of max, geophonic graphs tracking the seismic surround, nominal now, but with a blip some three hours ago, gravimetric readouts, ditto on the blip, half a dozen other telemetric technologies, all of them labeled antipod. Whatever the antipode facility was, it was a nuclear-powered major piece of work. Mariana paused before a display with a green light slowly pulsing above it. It showed a wireframe sphere and something within it. Three of the cyan arcs making up the wireframe were bolder than the others. Equator? Greenwich Meridian? International Dateline? Looked about right. Assuming the sphere was supposed to be the Earth, then what was that? Beneath the turning, transparent surface of the blue wireframe globe was inscribed a rosette of red semi-ellipses tilted at an angle 
looking for all the world like the looping flower petal designs she used to trace with a spirograph when she was a kid. A small yellow light winked halfway down the brightest arc. Charting some sort of subsurface magma flows? She couldn't begin to guess. The questions were accumulating far faster than the answers. A countdown box bearing the antipod label occupied the upper right-hand corner of the screen. It was reading ten hours and change to go till something. Mariana mentally adjusted for ship's time. Bingo! This clock was ticking down to 11.45 Zulu. Whatever was slated to happen then, there would be somebody here to see it. The event was synced with the next scheduled check-in by Galena's checker-shirted colleague. But what event was that? The countdown included the phrase, Wisha Torchka. Mariana puzzled out the Cyrillic again. She'd been studying Russian off and on ever since starting with Krom, but day jobs demands made it slow going. Let's see. Tochka was a dot or point, and the other word, a quick check with a handheld, was higher or superior. Superior dot? Try higher point, highest point, something like that. Like, say, the cusp of one of the ellipses in the display. Mariana glanced at the wireframe diagram again. If that little yellow marker were going to hit the high point on the red ellipse in ten hours' time... But no, it was moving way too fast. It had shifted position visibly while she was standing here, and would be at the top of its current arc in minutes, not hours. Maybe only some of the arcs counted. She shook her head. No time for this now. Save it for the post-mortem. Mariana turned and continued down the narrow aisle between the workstations, heading for the far end of the lab, where she found the one thing that seemed out of place amid all the electronic gear. A small steel box, about the size of a wall safe, but bolted onto the outside of the bulkhead rather than built into it. It looked for all the world like a microwave oven, even down to the rotisserie platform visible behind its glass door and the potholder gloves hanging beside it. How homey! The oven was empty, though, and its door was locked. She did a 180 and began her return sweep. Finally, she struck paydirt. A previously unnoticed display, bearing the ubiquitous antipod legend, held a schematic of what looked like an airlock. Could Antipode be a space station? But no, an accompanying chart, entitled Nishnaya Davlinia Vade, was displaying numbers in units of what looked like an abbreviation for atmospheres. Vade, she knew, was the genitive for water, and, prompted by the fact that they were measuring something in atmospheres, Mariana guessed what the handheld confirmed. The phrase meant external water pressure. Lots of water pressure, hundreds of atmospheres, to judge by the readout. Antipode wasn't in outer space. It was miles below, at the bottom of the ocean. Just as she was mulling the implications, something gave out an ear-splitting, fingernails-down-a-chalkboard shriek. Mariana whirled and crouched. What the hell is that? Her eyes darted around the room. Nothing there. The sound was coming from, from everywhere, it seemed. She was getting ready to hightail it on the chance she'd triggered some alarm, 
when she caught a flicker of movement behind the glass door of that strange little wall safe. At the same instant, the shriek cut off, and, in a sudden silence, she heard the safe make a small popping sound, as if venting air. There was something in it now, something silvery. She could see it dimly through the glass, rotating slowly on the little turntable. It hadn't been there before. The rotisserie hadn't even been moving. She walked over and inspected the safe where it joined the wall. Just as she'd thought, the box was a sealed unit. No way anything could have gotten in from that side. So where had, whatever it was, come from? For that matter, what was it? She couldn't make out more than a hazy shape. The glass door was fogged with steam or cold. The little safe, or oven, or whatever, still felt cool to the touch, but she couldn't be sure through her gloves, and she wasn't about to take them off. One more mystery for her collection. With utmost respect, Pyotr Filipovich, why now? Grishin's words were civil enough, but his tone belied them. It said he would gladly have reached out and wiped that insolent grin from the ferret face floating in the darkness of Rusalka's headquarters suite. Regrettably not possible. Pyotr Filipovich Karpinsky was a good thousand miles away in his dacha on the outskirts of Moscow, and a video-conferenced persona makes a poor substitute for the real thing when intimidation is the purpose at hand. In the end, Grishin was reduced to glaring at the data wall and mouthing empty formalities. With all due respect, how can you propose to reopen this question now, with implementation at most only weeks away? Karpinsky matched Grishin's glare with one of his own. Comrade Director, I consider it my duty to give the full council one last opportunity to rethink its decision before it is too late. And the rest of you are in agreement with this? Grishin's gaze swept the other five faces, each framed in its own window on the wall-filling display. Vlasov, Parchomenko, Batkin, Tikhonov, Zaporozhtsev, all the members of the Council for National Resurrection had heeded Karpinsky's call for one last teleconference, one last thrashing through, one last second guessing of the selection. All of them save Prilokov, who had begged off pleading indisposition, meaning he was drunk again. We have only agreed to hear, comrade director, only to listen, in a spirit of collegiality. Botkin slurred his words, but not from inebriation. The drooping mouth that marred his distinguished, if elderly, good looks was a reminder of the stroke he had suffered at the beginning of the year. Forgive me, but there is nothing to listen to, Andrei Romanovich. Here, at least, Grishin need not feign civility. Botkin, with his long years of service, had more than earned it. Still, some things needed saying all the same. The alternatives have all been ruled out. Those closer in are suboptimal in the extreme. Those further out... Well, he turned to the man who till now had been sitting quietly in the suite's second most comfortable chair, watching the proceedings with an air of detachment. Sasha, explain it to them. Again. Uh, comrades, Sasha began. 
It is as Arkady Grigorievich says, the further back we go, the more protracted the target acquisition and the slimmer the safety margin. Worse, the uncertainties multiply. Theory suggests that many otherwise promising hinge points are simply unexploitable. Theory, Karpinski spat the word out, precisely my point. Three and a half billion American dollars down the drain. Twelve years of effort, and even now, all we have is theory. Not theory alone, Pyotr Filipovich, Grishin said. You are forgetting the probes. Probes? Puzzles, you mean. Riddles, which only Bondarenko here claims to understand. You give us paradoxes when what we need are results. Karpinski's fist, out of frame, could be heard to thump the table. Permit me to suggest, comrade director, that perhaps you are not pressing your research cadres hard enough toward attainment of those results. Calm yourself, Pyotr Filipovich. This is nature herself with which we deal. She will not click her heels and snap to attention simply because you command her to. Out of the corner of his eye, he glimpsed Sasha's nod of approval, but that was small consolation when the council itself remained unconvinced. He faced them down one by one. Whom, then, would you propose? Beria? That drunken butcher? His temper, held in check till now, flared at the thought of the old NKVD chief. You know as well as I, he spent his days on his knees licking the excrement off Stalin's boots and his nights cruising the streets of the capital in that black zeal of his, looking for adolescents of either sex to molest. Is that your exemplar for the new Russia we seek to build? Khrushchev did us a favor by having him shot. Grishin lowered his voice. Now, Andropov, on the other hand, he began, then broke off as his wrist-top computer emitted a mellow tone. His irritation at the interruption gave way to anticipation. Another probe had arrived, perhaps even the one they had all been waiting for. But he couldn't drop off the call, not with the council still sitting on the fence like this. Excuse me a moment, comrades. He muted the voice line, then turned so his lips were shielded from the video cam. Sasha, I must remain here and put this issue to rest once and for all. Will you go and retrieve the message for us? With a nod, Sasha rose and fumbled his way through the darkness in the direction of the door. Grishin pressed a call button. I will have Yuri join you there. Sasha paused with his hand on the knob. That should not be necessary, Arkasha. I can be there and back again in no time. Indulge me, Sasha. Safe is safe. Knox was entertaining the mate with reminiscences of other midnights in Moscow, when who should come tripping up the main stairway to the bridge but... Sasha? Good evening. Sasha spun at the sound of his name. John? he asked, peering into the gloom. Is that you? They keep it so dark up here by night. What brings you up here so late? What indeed? Sasha had been headed in the direction of the chart room when Knox hailed him. You will excuse me, John. There is something I must attend to. Sasha turned back toward the passageway. Knox took a deep breath and hit Mariana's panic button. After a brief pause, the unit in his ear whispered, John, I'm here. What's up? Can you talk? 
Knox cleared his throat, trusting the miniature Mike to pick up what he said next. Uh, Sasha? As long as you're going in to check out the maps anyway, would you mind showing me how to operate the zoom on that position display? Down in the lab, Mariana let out the breath she'd been holding. When the panic button went off, her first thought had been that Rusalka's security had somehow detected her presence in the off-limits area. But it was only Sasha out for an evening stroll. She was still safe. Grecian wouldn't send his second-in-command to do his wet work for him, would he? On the other hand, John had said something about maps. That meant the chart room. If Sasha was headed that way, he could have business down in the secret lab. It might have nothing to do with her, but that wouldn't help if he caught her flat-footed. She shrugged and resumed her recon sweep. But she mentally added one more item to her to-do list. See if there's a hidey hole in here someplace, just in case. After all, safe is safe. Three decks above her, Sasha had paused at the entrance to the passage. The zoom, John. I fear I do not know myself. Perhaps one of the mates can assist you. He turned away again. Um, Knox's mind raced, trying to come up with something, anything to stall with. You know, Sasha, he broke off at the sound of someone else clumping up the stairs. What now? Midnight's perfect, John, Mariana had said. The next check-in's not for hours yet. The place'll be dead. No one in the wheelhouse but the watch. Yeah, right. Grand Central Station's more like it. The new arrival hove into view at the top of the stairs. Knox hit the panic button. Hard. Mariana's second sweep had fetched her up in front of the wall safe again. The glass of the door had cleared by now, and through it she could see... What? The vaguely cylindrical thing lying on the now motionless turntable had the sheen of stainless steel, but there was a strange, half-melted look to it, as if it had been pulled like taffy. Mariana thought she could see distorted symbols embossed on the gleaming surface, but the angle was all wrong. No way she could make them out. She was debating whether to risk jimmying the door's lock mechanism when John's second alert of the evening sounded in her earphones. He shouldn't play with that panic button. It was making her nervous. Not nearly as nervous as what came next. Yuri, John said, extra loud for her benefit. What a pleasure to see you again. Oh, shit. Mariana swallowed and moved the search for a hideaway to the top of her agenda. This had just turned serious. Sasha was on the point of entering the chart room proper by the time Knox had gotten over the shock of Yuri's sudden appearance. Hey, Sasha, he called out. Wait up. Was there something else, John? No, nothing much. It's just that, you know, it occurred to me we never did finish our talk. About your career change, I mean. Yes. What about it? Sasha glanced at his watch. Do you ever miss it? Astrophysics, I mean. Ah, well, but of course. Now is a very exciting time for cosmology. I try my best to follow the most interesting developments in what leisure I can spare from my duties. So, what's grabbing you at the moment? Sasha thought it over, but not for long. A joint Indian-Canadian proposal to use the Hubble's successor for experimental verification of the Smolin hypothesis. Behind him, Yuri shifted his bulk impatiently. Sasha held up a hand, and the disturbance stopped. 
You know of the Smolin hypothesis, John? No, but it must be a pretty big deal to catch your attention this far from launch. That new Webb Space Telescope isn't scheduled to go up till, when is it? Fall of 2010, I think. He took a step back in the direction of the wheelhouse, willing Sasha to follow. Spring of the year after. Launch date has slipped again. Sasha still wasn't budging from the chart room doorway. And yes, the Smolin hypothesis is a big deal. A theory of cosmological natural selection. Must be the engine noise, Sasha. It sounded like you said cosmological natural selection. Sasha nodded eagerly. What, you mean like Al Einstein meet Chuck Darwin? Yes, only without the silly nicknames, John. Sasha wagged a finger at him. Survival of the fittest among universes. Enlighten me. It is very simple, really. Smolin must be of Russian descent with such a name, Nipravdali. Smolin theorizes that our current universe is the product of evolutionary processes, and he begins with a good, solid, astrophysical question. Why is the universe full of stars? Mariana had to grin in spite of herself. English or Russian, John was never at a loss for words. His stock in trade, he'd no doubt say. Good thing, too. He was buying her precious minutes in which to find concealment. And that was proving more difficult than anticipated. The cramped space of the lab combined with the glare from the overheads to leave Mariana-sized shadows in short supply, and her refractive jumpsuit was useless in direct light. No handy broom closets or storage lockers, not even a large cardboard box. Come on, come on. This is sounding like the sort of discussion that goes down better with a cup of tea, Knox was saying. I think there's still half a thermos full up forward. Oh, very well. Sasha chuckled and followed him. He paused at the entrance to the wheelhouse and looked back. Yuri, would you please see to this business for me? Shit. Out of the frying pan into the thermonuclear holocaust. Knox retrieved his thermos bottle and swished it around. Um, no, this is going to be cold, he improvised. Think we could ask your friend here to trot down to the galley for a refill? He crossed back to the passageway and held the thermos out to Yuri. The Georgian regarded it as he might a live snake, then shot a questioning look at Sasha. Please, Yuri, oblige us. I can handle matters here. Yuri looked for a moment as if he might protest. Then he glowered, yanked the thermos from Knox's hand, and set off down the stairway. Okay, I'll bite, Knox said when they were alone again. Why is the universe full of stars? Simple, simple question, Sasha said half to himself. Too simple for astrophysicists to trouble their heads over. But the answer, the answer turns out to be not so simple. It's just basic physics, right? I mean, pack enough hydrogen together, you get a star. Ah, John, but how basic is that physics? Many parameters in the fundamental equations appear arbitrary, yet they must all be tuned to just the right values to yield a cosmos full of light and life. Such as? Take your own example of packing hydrogen together to make stars. Or gathering matter into star-sized clumps 
the gravitational constant must be set just so, too weak, and the whole universe remains just thin gas, too strong, and it recollapses again into a Big Bang singularity before any stars have a chance to be born. Either way, the universe is dark and dead. Well, okay, Knox conceded. Many such parameters are left undetermined by the standard model of quantum theory, string theory too. Value of nuclear binding force, masses of subatomic particles, relative strengths of fundamental forces, all of these must be fine-tuned in complete independence of one another for basic physics to support star formation. No, Smolin calculates probability of a star-filled universe coming into existence by chance at 1 in 10 to the 229th. So the odds are Google's to 1 against? Knox whistled, a 1 followed by 229 zeros. That was way, way more than the number of atoms in the known universe. Definitely not the way to bet. What does that leave, the hand of God? Ha! In the old days, we would have unmasked you as a bourgeois apologist of crypto-mystical false consciousness. Sasha's parody of Marxist-Leninist orthodoxy sounded almost as clunky as the real thing. Well, what's Smolin's alternative then? If it couldn't have happened by chance, and you don't want to hear about divine intervention, what does that leave? Evolution, as I said. Yeah, yeah, I heard you say it, but evolution of what? Go back close enough in time to the moment of the Big Bang, and what do you find? A singularity. Dive to the center of a black hole. You find the same thing. Cannot. Cannot be coincidence. So, every black hole singularity is actually the birth of a new universe somewhere else? Exactly. And survival of the fittest then dictates that there will be many more universes able to produce black holes than universes that cannot. And producing black holes takes stars, right? Most assuredly. Except, of course, for very littlest ones formed in the Big Bang itself. Very littlest what's? Black holes? I thought they had to be as big as suns. Oh, hey, wait a minute. Knox struggled to recall the details of other midnight conversations two decades ago. Sasha spoke not a word. Instead, he laid a finger alongside his nose, smiling impishly. Now, why the hell? Knox knew that look, though he hadn't seen it in going on twenty years. It meant Sasha had already said too much. They had somehow managed to stumble into his friend's conversational discomfort zone. In cosmology, no less. What did really little black holes have to do with anything? Sasha was looking at his wrist top again. And now, John, I really must go and Mariana still hadn't confirmed she was safely undercover. Because she wasn't. She scanned the confines of the secret lab a third time, looking with mounting apprehension for some place, any place. Her gaze ran over the equipment banks, the walls, the floor. The floor! Was it a trick of the light, or was that group of four ceramic tiles slightly raised above the plane of the flooring? She dropped to her knees and ran her gloved hands over the surface, Yes, she could just barely feel the bump. The thing was a camouflaged hatch cover. 
There must be a control that raised and lowered it somewhere, but nothing obvious, and no time to look for it. She tried to get her fingertips under the rim to gain purchase, but the plate was too close to being flush with the floor. Up, damn you, up! This whole business does remind me of something else, though. Knox launched his final bid to keep the discussion going. Hugh Everett's Many Worlds Interpretation of Quantum Mechanics. Ah, John, I knew you would find a way to bring quantum physics in, but I fail to see the relevance. Try it this way. How many black holes you figure there are in our own universe? Hmm. Sasha knit his brows and thought. Perhaps one black hole for every ten thousand stars, a hundred billion stars per galaxy, and a hundred billion galaxies. So, order of magnitude, say, one billion billions. A billion billion black holes, each of them spawning a whole new cosmos, Knox said. And Everett's got the universe splitting in two every time anybody performs a quantum measurement. I didn't like that, and I don't like this. Any way you slice it, it all adds up to a whole shitload of universes. And for what? No, give me that old-time re-expression of the vacuum any day. He felt a tiny frisson of anxiety then. This was going to cost him again. In steering the conversation away from what Sasha evidently felt was shaky ground, he'd moved it onto some even shakier ground of his own. He sensed another bout of sleeplessness ahead, another night of staring into the void. Re-expression of the vacuum? Ha! Sasha hadn't noticed Knox's momentary indisposition. Metaphysical claptrap. Surely you cannot believe this. A voice came from behind. There you are, Sasha. What has kept you? Must I see to this myself? Knox turned and, enunciating carefully for the sake of the microphone, said, Ah, good evening, Arkady Grigorievich. Go to ground, Mariana. Time's just run out. The man himself was on his way down. Mariana could hear the hollow clunk of Grecian shoes on the rungs of the metal ladder. From the way he was wheezing, he didn't make this trip all that often. What could he be up to? And what would he do if he found her? Best she could tell, Yuri was back from his tea run. Even if she could get by Grecian, his personal hitman would be waiting for her at the top of the shaft. Her wrist-top's telltale was reading pulse and respiration way up. Her fingers scrabbled frantically against the edge of the floor plate, to no avail. She could hear Grecian's labored breathing getting closer. In desperation, she pulled a utility knife from her tool belt and inserted its micron-thin blade into the crack. Gingerly, taking care not to snap it off, she levered the blade and felt the hatch plate rise, maybe an eighth of an inch. That would have to be enough. She set a small slot screwdriver against the raised edge and pounded it with the heel of her hand, sinking it deep into the plate's plasticized substrate. She gripped the handle and heaved. Please! Click! The upward pressure must have tripped a switch, because a hidden mechanism whirred softly and swung the plate up on its hinges, revealing an access tube with rungs leading down another level. Yes, thank God! As Mariana lowered herself into the tube... Her eyes swept the room one more time. Everything as it had been, no trace of her visit. Then, pausing only long enough to place a small hemisphere of lucite on the deck, she pulled the hatch cover closed. John? She whispered into her throat mic. I'm clear. 
Mariana crouched there in the darkness, watching the feed from the periscope on her miniature display, watching Grecian step off the last rung of the ladder and stride across the lab. He barely glanced at the workstations, but headed directly to the sealed microwave oven. She switched from fisheye to hemispheric, and then to close-up mode. Minimum distortion, max magnification. She needed to be sure she caught this. Grecian punched seven digits into the keypad. Too fast for Marianna to catch them all. Never mind, it was recorded. He reached for the insulated oven mitts hanging alongside the unit and pulled them on. Then he opened the safe and withdrew its contents, that strange cylindrical object she'd glimpsed before. Grecian's gloved hands rotated the thing back and forth around its long axis to give him a better view of the engravings on its surface. Not good enough, evidently. Even with the object held right up to his eyes, Grecian seemed to be having trouble deciphering whatever message it bore. Finally, he took his right glove off, walked over to a nearby electronic whiteboard, and began making notes on its surface with a marker, puzzling out letter after letter. He pocketed the item then, and stood for a moment examining his transcription. Mariana couldn't focus on what he had written from this angle, but judging by the expression on his face, the result pleased him. A quick swipe with an eraser, and he strutted to the metal ladder to begin his slow ascent. Waiting, so as to give Grecian time to clear the access shaft, Mariana played her flash around her hiding place. One deck below her, there was another hatch, identical to the one just above her head. What the hell? Recon is recon. She climbed down. This hatch, too, yielded to her proddings, opening onto the top landing of a spiral stair in the midst of a cavernous dark. She didn't have time for this. Couldn't even be sure if John was still on station, just incidental noises coming in over her still-live earphones now. Maybe just a quickie. She swept the coherent beam of her flash once through the chamber. The tight spot of light elongated and warped as it encountered a series of curved surfaces in the darkness. Mariana widened the beam and simultaneously pumped up the illumination to compensate. The broad band of light fell on a strangely shaped giant, part orca, part yellow submarine. A bathyscaphe, floating in a moon pool. But what a bathyscaphe! This was no dinky Trieste. It was a monster, the size of a small submarine. What could it be doing down here? How could they ever get it out to launch it? Too many mysteries. Mariana's head was swimming. She needed to work this through with John, her pet, trained analyst. She smiled, remembering. But he was pretty good in that department, and, well, he'd done pretty good all around tonight. For some reason, that last thought gave her an odd, tingly feeling. Mariana climbed back up and out of hiding. A glance to be sure she was alone again, then she walked over to the whiteboard. Grecian had wiped the writing clean, but his hand had been heavy. The soft plastic of the electrolytic surface still held a faint imprint. Mariana squinted, tried different angles, couldn't make it out. She thought for a moment, then pulled the flash from her belt again, switched the setting to UV, and played it over the surface. Trace residues of marker inks fluoresced in the ultraviolet beam, transforming the empty whiteboard into a palimpsest of scrawls. One, the most recent, judging by the way it overwrote the others, stood out. Poimka 3 viii 2247 A Russian word, unfamiliar both to her and to her handheld, 
followed by a date and time Cyrillic style. 10.47 p.m., August 3rd. Less than 48 hours from now. You've been listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.